Well, good morning, church. I looked down for a minute. This is not part of the sermon, okay? I looked down for a minute, and I saw my shadow, and I kind of scared myself because I thought it was just dark, and I thought, oh, no! You know, kind of sometimes if, if you ever have stairs in your house and you kind of miss a step and you're like, sorry, sorry, uh, that was, uh, I just, that was going through my mind right at that very moment and I thought I better just share it with you, otherwise one of you is going to say to the one sitting next to you, like, did you see that? That was kind of weird. So now you know. So the, good morning, by the way, church, Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Thank you for enjoying um, my, my mistakes. Um, there's this old country song, and there's a chorus in it that you'll know. So, some of you will know at least. It's, it's kind of old. Um, if you know it, you'll probably date yourself a little bit, but it, it's, it's well known enough that, that you're going to know it, some of you. And, and if you know it, would you just like belt it out with me? That way I don't have to sing it by myself. Okay? All right, here it goes. Ready? I'm going to do my very best. Don't tell my heart. Good, good. You guys are wonderful. That's right. Don't tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart. I just don't think he'd understand. Stand. <laughs> don't tell my achy, breaky heart. And we laugh about that. It's kind of funny. Um, I mean, we're kind of looking at that song, listening to it. Achy, breaky heart. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, and yet... Yet there's some truth in that, isn't there? Uh, the truth is that sometimes there is pain in life that just, well, it gives us an achy, breaky heart. Uh, one of the pains, one of the hurts that sometimes visits our life that that we could identify with the achy, breaky heart in that song is the hurt and the pain of betrayal. It's when someone who's close to us stabs us in the back. You know that kind of pain? And, and if you know that kind of pain, then you know uh, that the worst kind of betrayal that the worst kind of hurt, the worst kind of pain, that, that creates the worst kind of achy, breaky heart is the kind of betrayal that's done from one family member to another. That's when it's ugliest. That's when it hurts most. That's when the pain is most severe. Uh, that's when it's most acute. It happens when a brother or a sister that you've lent money to, 
And they've said to you, oh, it's going to be fine. We'll get it all paid back. As, as soon as the crop comes in, as soon as the business takes off, we're going to make sure that we pay you back. Everything's going to be fine. And not only that, we'll give, you, we'll give you increase as soon as everything goes well. As soon as the business takes off and the crop comes in, we'll make sure that everybody gets theirs. And you're thinking, great, except when the crop comes in and the business takes off, nothing happens. And you find out the hard way that they took the money and ran. And it happens, doesn't it? It happens in, in families between children and their parents. Maybe it is that the child has, has had provided for them all sorts of things and the parents have been there every step of the way encouraging and being there for them. And, and when it comes time for, uh, for mom and dad to, to, to get a little, little recognition, uh, they turn and run and, and there's no mention of mom and dad. And you think, what? I was here for you, and I cared for you, and, and we provided for you, and this, this is the thanks that we get? And you find as, as a parent, to, maybe now a grandparent, that you're not even allowed to see the children of your child. And you think, that's Betrayal. And maybe it is that you're a child and you're thinking, no, I, I know what betrayal looks like. It happened at the hands of my parents. See, I, I shared something with them and it was personal and, and it was close and I confided in them and I told them and, and, and they turned around and they shared that deeply personal thing with everybody. Uh, the thing that was supposed to stay private became public. I know what betrayal looks like. And maybe right now, you're thinking of that person. You're thinking, I know who it is who's betrayed me. I know the family member who's hurt me. I know that it was my husband or my wife or my brother or my sister or my grandparent or my parent. And even now, there's something right here, right deep in your heart. There's a little barb right there, and you think, oh, that hurts. You see, we've been in this series, haven't we, for several weeks. And we've, we've called it pressure points because we recognize something about life, don't we? We recognize that uh, just because we come to church and just because we uh, try and live a Christian life doesn't mean uh, that the barbs in this life don't come to visit us from time to time. We recognize that it doesn't matter whether or not we sit here every Sunday morning or we, we uh, attend Sunday school or read our Bibles and pray every day, that life's pressure points are going to visit. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yes, they, they will come and visit. You see, the issue is not whether or not they're going to come. It's really, how is it that we, as Christians, people who say that we follow Jesus, how is it that we're going to respond when the pressure points come? That's what this series has been all about. I mean, this series has really been about all about saying, hey, if I am saying that I'm a follower of Jesus, do I live that way? If I talk like I'm a Christian, uh, do I actually act that way? 
I mean, this is kind of put up or shut up sort of series for those of you who have said, yes, uh, A number one, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. I'm all in on being with Jesus. This is the sort of series where you go home with a little rock in your shoe and you're probably a little bothered when you go home. Don't send me any text messages, okay? Give your prayers to the Lord. Because you recognize, you know, the kind of pressure that you face and the sort of uh, gap, perhaps, that there is between your own activity. You say, this is where I really need to be, but this is where I'm at. Lord, give me the grace and the wisdom uh, to traverse this. And this morning, we're talking about a tough one. We're talking about betrayal. We're talking about someone, uh, maybe a group of people, who has come around and stabbed us in the back. Oh, we thought we were helping, and now suddenly they've come around and hurt us so deeply. And if you know that kind of betrayal, if you've experienced that, if you know exactly the kind of hurt that I'm talking about, then I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone, certainly in this room, but I want you to know uh, that you're not alone even in Scripture. You see, David, this guy that we know of in the Bible, this, this one who's called a man after God's own heart uh, because he consistently repents when he's confronted by God, he was betrayed by one of his own children. It's kind of crazy. So this morning, I, I want to share with you a really odd story. It's an odd story. It has an odd beginning. It has an odd ending. It leads us to an odd question. And, and quite frankly, it leads us down an odd trail uh, that really is probably going to lead us toward an odd sort of conviction. So if you're willing to be something of my odd squad this morning, then would you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you came in and you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Grab one in the pew back in front of you. It's in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is at the beginning of the Bible. And if you go to 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel, you can flip through those first couple of pages in your Bible and come to chapter 13. This is a good opportunity for me to say if you came in without a Bible and you don't have one, please take the one in the pew Bible, uh, the pew back in front of you. We want you to have one. If you need, uh, we'll sign it over to you just so that it's official. You're not stealing anything, okay? Take the Bible. And read it. Now David is going to be betrayed. Now I'm going to tell you that it's odd. This whole story really begins oddly. Uh, it really begins because uh, David has been confronted and he has sinned and he's committed an adulterous affair with Bathsheba that leads him down a, a terrible path that we've talked about in the last several weeks. Uh, but it also really uh, leads to a tailspin with the rest of his life. And it really begins this odd sort of circumstances that David is going to, be ha going to begin to have to deal with uh, with his children. 
And the very first instance is this kind of crazy circumstance uh, with one of his sons named Amnon. Now, David had many wives. In fact, we're told at one point that David had seven wives. Uh, Some say that he probably had something like 20 or 25 children in the 20s, and that we're only told that he had one daughter. So let's say that uh, David's We'll just call her wife number one. Uh, Wife number one had a son, and his name was Absalom. He was the oldest. Uh, Then wife number two had another son, and his name was Amnon. Now, wife number one, uh, not wife number two, wife number one also had a daughter, and her name was Tamar. So Absalom and Tamar are full-on siblings. Amnon, he's only a half-sibling. Are you following with me? Everybody's okay. This is where we pick up the story in a really odd sort of way. Chapter 13, look with me in verse 1. Now, in the course of time, Amnon, one of his sons, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. What? Now, this is sick. Now, I'm going to skip over some just so that we can get through this entire story this morning, but there's some crazy things, some very odd things, in fact, that begin to happen. Now, Amnon uh, seems to think that he wants to sleep with his beautiful sister. I know, half-sister, but it doesn't matter. Amnon thinks that he wants her and wants her in a sexual way. And so his cousin, Jonadab, comes up with this crazy plan because Amnon thinks he just can't live without her. And so he fakes like he's ill, has Tamar come in and, and make, a, uh, make some bread, uh, make a meal before him. He sends out all the servants... And then he overpowers her, rapes her, sexually assaults her. And the text tells us that as a result of this, Tamar becomes a desolate woman. Now for you and I, what that really means is that nobody would have her from that time on. She couldn't get married because she was no longer a virgin. And it didn't really matter that she was the daughter of the king. Uh, Everybody saw her as tattered, as worn. And so she had to live out her days, likely unmarried, a very lonely sort of person. Look Look at chapter 13. A little later, look at verse 13 and 14. She says, what about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He won't keep you from being married to me. But he refused to listen. And since he was stronger, he raped her. And then Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. And in fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he said. In verse 18, he says, So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And she was wearing an ornate robe. 
For this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore, and Tamar put on ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. And she put her hands on her head and she went away weeping as she went. Now enter big brother Absalom. Her brother Absalom said, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? And it says at the end of that verse, And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Betrayal doesn't even begin to touch what Tamar has experienced at the hands of her brother Amnon. Would you agree? It's an odd sort of story. But it only gets weirder. It only gets more odd. I want you to notice that Absalom, her big brother, uh, feels like her protector, and he hates Amnon with a great intensity. Uh, Notice what the text tells us. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Now you're thinking, I know what you're thinking, at least I hope you're thinking this. You're thinking, surely David is going to do something. David's going to respond. David's going to step into this family mess. David's going to walk in and be the hero. But notice what David does. Oh, he's angry. But almost nothing else. Look at verse 21. When King David heard all of this, he was furious. And in the Bible, we're thinking, this is the Bible, so it's got to have a happy ending. Surely David's going to do something. After all, he is the king, is he not? Right? I mean, he's the king. He's got the power. He, He waves the magic wand and people jump. I mean, all he has to do is snap his fingers. Hey, you, do this. And it didn't really matter that Amnon was his son. He could have done something. He hears about it. He's mad. And the text tells us that he does nothing. His fury leads him to do absolutely zero. He could have banished Amnon. He could have said, you're no longer a part of this kingdom. You must go. He he could have actually, under the law at the time, said, this is a capital offense. No more. You are gone. You have disgraced your sister. She lives desolate. She will never be married And this is going to cost you your life. Perhaps it is that David is so aware of his own sin, he just can't bring himself to punish his son. But we know that he does nothing. So what do you think? What do you think big brother Absalom is going to do? Big brother Absalom waits. That's what he does. In fact, the text tells us that he waits for two years. He waits and he waits and he waits. And do you know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for the perfect opportunity. He's waiting for that moment when he can get back at Amnon for what he has done to Tamar. He is not going to allow this betrayal to be gone with nothing. 
You see, oftentimes when someone feels a great deal of injustice and they feel like someone has not done the justice that has been deserved, uh, they will take justice into their own hands, won't they? And this is just exactly what Absalom does. Look at verse 28 of chapter 13. Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is high in spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down and then kill him, don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered, and then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. Absalom's been in waiting. He's looked for the right opportunity, and he has taken justice in his own hands, and he has killed Amnon for what he has done to his sister Tamar, and, and for, quite frankly, what David didn't do. You think, wow. Some of you are thinking, is this really in the Bible, or is this the National Enquirer? Some of you are waiting for the soap opera music, right? The days of our lives, or the young and the restless, or whatever other shows are out there. But no, this is actually right here in the Bible, and, and we're sitting here going, this is messed up. There's some serious betrayal going on in David's family. Everything's kind of in a tailspin here. What's going on? Well, Absalom kills Amnon, he orders it, he orders the hit, uh, Amnon is now dead, and he knows that that's probably going to cross the line with daddy, so uh, he decides to go away. He decides that he's going to go and he's going to live in another country for a while, and in fact, the text is going to tell us uh, that he's there for three long years, and it seems like he's doing okay. He's probably made some friends across the border, and he's decided maybe he's just going to hang out there. But there he is for three years, and uh, David, through a whole variety of circumstances, is kind of encouraged, why don't you go get Absalom? Uh, why don't you let him back into your kingdom? Uh, why don't you go and talk to him? And so he sends a servant, uh, the, king of, uh, the, the uh, general of his army, hey, I want you to go get Absalom. And they don't like each other, Absalom and the general. Uh, they don't like each other very much, but uh, Absalom comes along. But the king decides, I'm not going to see him. David says, I'm not going to see my own son. And for two more years, so a total of five years, uh, David says, I'm not going to see my own son. Perhaps it is that David can't fathom facing some of the things that he has done. And so he can't fathom looking his son in the eye and giving him any sort of discipline whatsoever. But two years goes by, and finally, uh, David invites Absalom in. He has him come in. Absalom comes to David, and David kind of releases him. He, he puts his hand on his head. Absalom kisses his hand, and, and the, the story seems to go on. But Absalom is still a madman. He's still pretty darn upset. He's upset because his father seems to be unjust at a betrayal that has happened. 
Absalom thinks that he can rule far better uh, than his father David, and so he's going to go about trying to prove it. After he's been cleared, he can now uh, roam freely throughout the kingdom, and he decides uh, to, to mount a political coup. You see, Absalom is an excellent politician, and so he decides to open up his conspiracy. Now, he's a pretty smart guy. And so he says, I'm going to play politics better than my daddy can play politics. Several years ago, I was in Estes Park, and uh, uh, it was actually the second George Bush, okay? What is it, George W. Bush? Is that right? It was the second Bush president, and he happened to be in office. Now, we were at Estes Park. Yes, I'm old for some of you who are thinking, geez, that's a long time ago. So there we were, I was leading a youth trip in Estes Park, and we found out while we were there that the President of the United States was coming right where we were. We were staying at the YMCA of the Rockies, uh, right under uh, this just beautiful, beautiful mountain, and and there we are, and we're like, hey, the president's coming. Cool, guys. So we hang out, like, really, literally for hours, waiting for the president of the United States to come. Now, I am here to tell you, when the president of the United States shows up, like, you know it. Right? There is no hiding that someone really important is coming. Right? There are, like, rows of black SUVs with the windows all tinted, completely black, so you can't see inside. There were like helicopters all in the sky. Are you tracking with? I mean, there was like a lot of pomp and circumstance following this one guy. Now, what, what does that tell me? Somebody really important is coming. And so what does Absalom do? He makes like a president. Absalom gets up a bunch of pomp and circumstance. He gets himself a chariot. He gets himself some horses. And he has 50 men or more uh, marching out in front of him. He wants to make sure that when he comes trompsing through town, everybody's like, ooh, ooh, what's this all about? What's going on? And he goes and he stands in the gate. Now, the gate to you and I means nothing. It just means like an entryway. Uh, but for the gate in the ancient world, see, if you were in a city and you were to go to the gate, it was like the judicial center, right? It, it was where law and order happen. And so uh, Absalom decides, I'm going to make all this pomp and circumstance. Everybody's going to think, hey, that guy's really something. He's important. And then what he's going to do is he's going to win the hearts of people uh, by trying to make his dad, David, look like an unjust king, but make himself look very just. This is like a polit what a politician would do, isn't it? So look at chapter 15. Look at verse 4. Absalom would say to them, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge of the land, then everyone who was, has a complaint or a case 
could come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached to him, they would bow down to him and Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Tell me that this doesn't sound like a politician. And Absalom behaved in this way toward all of the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. David is going to be betrayed by his own son, isn't he? You see, Absalom has eyes on the throne of David. David, you have not acted justly, and I'm going to make sure that you pay. Absalom is acting like a politician. He is going to go and get his daddy's throne. And when David finds out all the things that Absalom has been doing, he knows that Absalom means business. I know that because David decides that it's high time to head out of town. Look at verse 13 and 14 of chapter 15. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. And then David said to all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the Sword. Now, this is an odd story, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of come about in an odd way, and it's, it's odder. I've already told you that it sounds a little more like a soap opera than the Bible, but that's the Bible for you. It's actually truthful. Now, Absalom... Absalom's going to come in. He's going to humiliate his father. He's going to do all sorts of terrible things as David tries to watch. Eventually, David's going to gather up enough guys to, to go after Absalom and his army. They're going to go and they're going to whip him. But before they go, this really odd thing happens. This is that odd ending that I was talking about. I, I mean... Can you think of the person, just for a moment, who, who has betrayed you? Think of that person. Do you feel like nice and warm fuzzies for them? Oh, I know we're in church, and we're supposed to be Christian, and we're supposed to love everybody, and we're working on it, aren't we? Uh, but if we're true in our flesh, uh, in, our, in our own sinful sort of nature, we want the betrayer to get his, don't we? I mean, when we go into a movie and there's someone that's betrayed someone else, we're kind of cheering in our seat, aren't we? Uh, when the guy who was the betrayer kind of gets his in the end, we're like, yeah, he deserved it. He had it coming to him. Okay, am I the only one? No, we're, we're kind of excited. We're like, ah But David does this really odd thing. I mean, it's actually incredibly odd. It comes in chapter 18. You see, David's men are about to, to go 
And David says a really strange thing. In verse 4, I want you to notice what David says. The king answered, I'll do whatever seems best. So the king stood beside the gate while all his men marched out in units of hundreds and thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Atiai, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. Whoa. Time out. This is not what we expect. He's betrayed David. He's humiliated him in front of everyone. He's taken his kingdom from him. He has hurt him deeply. And David says, now don't hurt my baby. What? Now his general, Joab, is going to completely disregard that order. And eventually, uh, Absalom, the handsome one with the long hair, looking a little more like Fabio, he goes through the wilderness, gets his hair caught in a tree, and he lands three spears right in the middle of his heart. And there are some of us, including me, a little bit, when I read this through the first time, it was kind of like, yeah, he kind of had it coming. But then I stopped, and I asked myself the question that I hope that you ask when you read the Bible. What is the Bible doing here with what it's saying? Like, God, what in the world did you put this soap opera in the Bible for? Like, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? God, I put this on my preaching calendar. I have to preach this. What in the world do you want me to do with it? And it led me to an odd question. Now, can I warn you? It's it's an uncomfortable question. It's a question you're not going to want to answer. But it's a question that this text is leading us to. You see, David was willing... To clear Absalom. Uh, You might say that, that David was willing to absolve his Absalom. And it led me to this question. How will you absolve your Absalom? Ooh, that one stings, doesn't it? How will you forgive your Absalom? How will you clear the name of your Absalom? Or when given the opportunity, would you order your people in your flesh to say, yeah, get him? I'm going to leave you with that question for a moment. Because that question led me down an odd trail. I had to retrace the steps of David. Uh, Back in chapter 15, verse 14, David flees Jerusalem. Then David said to his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape Absalom. He goes from Jerusalem. He takes those who are with him, and he leaves. Now... You're thinking, Mike, you're, you're really strange. I'm, I'm hanging on this odd question that you just gave me. How will I, how will I absolve my Absalom? And, 
hang with me on that question. This is going to help. This odd trail is going to help us get to this odd question. The whole countryside, in verse 23 in chapter 15, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. So David has left Jerusalem, and he's gone across the Kidron Valley. Now notice the next step, uh, verse 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too, and they were weeping as they went. Now in the very next verse, it mentions a guy by the name of Ahithophel. Now here's what's interesting about this dude named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was actually a prime advisor to David. But in this whole betrayal, Ahithophel has decided that he is going to try and be the advisor of Absalom. And I want you to hear this really odd story uh, that the Bible records in chapter 17, verse 23. When Ahithophel saw that his advice had been followed, had not been followed, excuse me, he saddled his donkey and he set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then he hanged himself. So he died and he was buried with his, in his father's tomb. And, you're, and I was thinking, uh, even as I read through this, I put a little note, this is really odd. But this odd trail needs, leads me to a, another sort of odd story. A story about another son of David who took a very similar sort of trail. One that led him with his followers from Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley up the Mount of Olives. And we find that right there in the Mount of Olives, we find that he has a betrayer too. One who eventually decides to kill himself by hanging. If you go over to chapter 18 in John, notice the trail that Jesus takes, the son of David. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And we're told in other passages that it's Jesus who goes to the Mount of Olives with his disciples to pray this really crazy prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And in Matthew chapter 27, we see of the betrayer named Judas, one of the closest disciples to Jesus. Some scholars even believe that it was Judas who sat at the right hand of Jesus during the Last Supper, that Judas may have been one of his closest advisors, the one who was going to betray him later. And in Matthew chapter 27, it says of Judas that he went and he hanged himself. Now, I'm going to hold you hanging on. Uh, So you have this odd question in your right hand, and in your left hand, you have all of these things uh, from one son of David to another son of David, Uh, but I'm going to give you a third, so you're going to have to juggle just a little bit. Are you with me? Go back to 2 Samuel, and you're going to be again in chapter 18. And in verse 33, after Joab has killed Absalom, I want you to hear what David says. It's so important. In verse 33, the king was shaken. 
And he went up to the room over the gateway and he wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, my Absalom, my son, my son. David, the king, was saying to the betrayer, I would die for you. You remember that odd question that I asked you? How will you absolve your Absalom? Well, it's through really the the second son of David, Jesus, that we begin to get the answer. If you want to answer the question, how will I absolve my Absalom, then you need to look at Jesus in the eye. You need to know that he was betrayed, and you need to know that you are an Absalom, that I am an Absalom. None of us in this room gets away from being an Absalom. In the book of Romans, it says there's nobody who's righteous, not a single one. But we also ask this question. Is there a king who is the son of David that is willing to die for the betrayer? And you know what the answer is? Heck yeah. You see, Jesus died for the betrayer. And in a bit of irony, it's because Jesus was betrayed and hung on a cross that you and I as betrayers can know forgiveness. None of us is innocent in this room. We've all been betrayers. And so if you have walked in this morning and you've been thinking this whole sermon about that betrayer in your life, can I challenge you? Can I try and equip you? How will you absolve your Absalom? How will you forgive your Absalom? You will know that you are an Absalom and you will know that there is another son of David who has died for you. So that sister, that brother, that parent, that child, the one who has hurt you desperately, that has hurt you so deeply, I want you to look at the fulfillment of this story from David's life and the life of Jesus and know that we can forgive those who have betrayed us. That we can wipe the slate clean. And maybe not all the consequences in the relationship will will all be healed. Maybe there will be scars for many years because of Jesus because he died for you the betrayer you can forgive others so will you forgive Jesus says or Paul says of Jesus in the book of Colossians that Jesus has reconciled everything to himself through the cross and if Jesus can reconcile death 
Betty can reconcile you and your betrayer too. So I hope today that this pressure point hits you. I pray that it churns in your soul. I pray that it plants a rock in your shoe. And that you don't leave unscathed by that question. How will I absolve my Absalom? Will you stand with me? Let's sing together this morning.